1: Chop Chop Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. I'm joined tonight by Steve Fetch. How are you doing tonight, Fetch? Hey good, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So obviously big news for this podcast is that uh you know Kansas has opened the exhibition season at least. So we, we actually have real live basketball um uh, to talk about. Um obviously it was brought much excitement to all these uh crazy fans that have been suffering through the football season to this point. Um, So we're going to go ahead and spend most of our time there. I kind of just want to open up realizing obviously that it's an exhibition game against Pitt state. Um, Who, who really surprised you in last night's game?
0: Um, You know, I I think one guy that really surprised me was uh, Gerald Vick. Um, You know, Bill Self had been kind of talking him up um, a little bit this summer and said that he was really good, even in the practices leading up to the Italy trip. But, uh, if you go back and look at the way he played the last couple of years, uh, you know, he, he had some flashes, but never really put full games together. Uh, was kind of inconsistent from three, even though he did end up shooting uh, close to 40%. Um, you know, wasn't a great rebounder, wasn't a great defender. Uh, last night, you know, he uh, <laughs> he had a double-double, uh, 11 rebounds, 15 points, Um also a seven of 11 from the floor. Now, uh, you know, some of that was off offensive rebounds and stuff, which, um, you know, and this is a a caveat we can throw in all of these uh, analysis, but uh, Pitt state's obviously a little bit smaller of a team than we're going to be facing most of the time. So you don't figure that Vic's going to be able to hit the offensive glass as much as he did, but um, you know, it's still nice to see him aggressive and, and get involved. So um, he, he was probably the guy that surprised me the most. Um, the other one I, I would say was Malik Newman. Um, not in the sense that he led the team in scoring. I think he's going to do that uh, pretty often this year. But uh, he attacked the rim a few times and, and also uh, had four assists. And uh, had a couple other passes that could have been assists that uh, guys just missed shots. And uh, when he was at Mississippi State, that wasn't really his game so much. So it uh, looks like he's definitely you know spent that, that year off adding to his game.
1: Yeah, I think the, the guy that surprised me, and granted, you know, in terms of actually sitting down and paying attention heavily to the game, I, I probably only caught about the first 10 minutes, and then I was, you know, occupied with the World Series last night and then uh, editing podcasts and all that fun stuff. Um, but, you know, it would have to be Billy Preston. You know, I was surprised to see how aggressive he came out. Um, you know, he was he was all over the place in the in that first 10 minutes. And even though he only played – I believe it was eight minutes total due to foul trouble um, when he was on the floor, you know, he, he definitely looked like he knew what he was doing. He just had some bad fouls. Um, you know, that seems to kind of be the MO for a lot of our freshmen big guys is that they, it, it takes them a little bit of time to get used to, you know, what's going to get called a foul. Um, and we, we tend to have that problem with guys down low anyway, and, and that, that we, we tend to run through a lot of them and they get a lot of fouls. So while I'm, I'm not happy about the fact he only got eight minutes, but had four fouls. Um, you know, when he actually is able to stay on the floor, he looked like he was at least um, confident enough in himself to be able to go and, and be aggressive and, and get some good plays. And uh, again, granted, it's against Pitt State, so there was probably a little bit of um, you know athleticism edge that he's not going to have all the time. Um, but I, I wasn't really expecting to see that. The guy I was expecting to exert himself um, that strongly would be Azubuoke. Um, who who did that somewhat, but not to the same degree that I think the press did. So.
0: Yeah. Um. You know. You. I guess you probably missed this one too, because in the second half. But he actually banged his head. Um. On a. A Pitt State player's. I think on a Pitt State player's head. Right. Um, I read all about that too. Right. But. Uh, yeah. Okay, so well, that. No. So. I mean, yeah. The the fouls. Uh. Too. But yeah. I, I mean. I think that more than anything probably limited his his playing time. Right. Um. One one thing I I did like out of him was, um, you know, he uh, kind of showed off the full arsenal, basically. You know, I mean, he hit a nice long jumper, um, had kind of a step-back jumper, hit a nice little hook in the post after getting good post position. Um, Bill Fell's probably not going to like that he didn't get to the free-throw line and, and probably not going to like that, you know, he only grabbed uh, four rebounds, but, um, although I guess four rebounds in eight minutes is pretty good. But, right. um, you know, certain, certainly a, a pretty darn good good debut from Preston um, after, you're right, I mean, some of these freshmen do uh, take a little bit of time to get used to things. And, and one thing that I think we saw a little bit of last night, too, was, you know, refs are calling things a little bit tighter earlier in the season before they kind of loosen it up in March. So, I mean, that's probably something to watch, too, with KU's depth issues. Um, you know, if pressing can stay on the floor, that's going to be a big help. Yeah, and, and I think that
1: that's pretty standard. I mean, we've seen that at least the last three or four years where it's really tight early in the year, um, but then they really loosen up once we get about halfway through the conference season. Um, but, it, right, I think the way, what just impressed me the most is, like, like, you know, we can see the potential. He may not be able to be as effective with any of this, you know, going up against the bigger bodies or going against, um, you know, some of these better teams, but at least we know that he has it. He's confident that he can use it. Um, and, you know, once he gets used to playing at the D1 level against D1 competition, he has those weapons in his arsenal. Um, again, I'm not expecting him you know, to go light it up and be like a, you know, MB type of astronomical improvement after, you know, 10 games or something like that. But we at least know he has the tools. We at least know he's comfortable using them at times. Um, so the potential is all there. It's just a matter of how quickly can he put it all together, which I think was actually a big question about him. Coming in, you know, everyone talked about a bunch of the potential that he had, but they weren't really really sure where he was going to fit. You know, was he going to fit into a traditional four role? Was he going to be able to play a little bit bigger at times? Um, or would he be able to step out on the wing if he needed to? And I mean, I think he showed the ability, depending on who he's matched up against, to kind of jump into any of those roles, except for maybe, you know, the true five center role. Um, just because he's not as big as, as some of those guys are probably going to be. Um, but, he, you know, he showed the ability to get in there and do a lot of different things. Um, so that I think that extra flexibility is going to allow him to get on the floor more often as long as he's not fouling out um, and to be used in a lot more uh, situations than I thought he was going to be able to coming into the year. All right. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, for for those that were paying attention to the site, uh, Fetch, you, you got your, your uh, semi-statistical recap up. Uh, which is obviously one of those features we, we love to look at after every game. And it had, um you know, your, your normal uh, chart in there of the four factors. I know you had said in there, you're going to kind of explain a little bit about what that was. We don't have a primer up yet, uh, but we usually do one of those every year. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and kind of just do like a mini primer here of what that means and why those factors are important. And then kind of talk about what we saw in the game with those last night.
0: Sure. So um it- basically um a lot of people um not not so much these days i guess but i try to update this uh this little primer here but um a lot of people think of basketball stats in terms of per game numbers you know if a, if a defense allows 60 points per game that's good if it allows 90 points per game that's bad but um kind of the uh, the currency or, or the denominator in basketball that we should be looking at isn't the time off the clock, it's the possession. So, you know, if you allow 60 points uh, in, you know, 50 possessions, uh, that's horrible. Um, whereas if you allow 90 points in, you know, 130 possessions or whatever, I mean, obviously a basketball game is like 75 possessions usually. Um, but... So um, with that, you know, we, we get to uh, points per possession, which is, you know, again, just, uh, you know, how many points you score per trip down the floor. Um, the average uh, or median, I guess I should say a division one is usually around one point per possession. Um, I think it's been a little bit more than that uh, the last couple of seasons uh, with the, you know, the increase in three pointers and stuff. So, that's kind of a good, you know, above one is good, below one is bad. Um, and then obviously the, the inverse defensively. Um, so uh, through that, um, you know, a bunch of people and most notably a, a guy named Dean Oliver have uh, developed these things that are called the four factors. And it's just basically the four main things that go into, you know, making a, a good offense or a good defense. Um, and so, yeah, if you go to the site and, and click on me, uh, click on the chart, there's, four of them right there uh the first one is what's called effective field goal percent field goal percentage excuse me uh basically this just uh takes into account the impact of of three pointers um you know because a three pointer is worth uh, an extra point making one of those is more important than making a two um and so if you say a, a player shoots you know 45 percent from the floor uh, but if they take you know half their shots from three or something like that you're not really getting the, uh, the full effect. So um, that just kind of takes into, into account where you're shooting from the floor. Uh, The next one's turnover percentage, which is, you know, just as you might imagine, it's just turnovers divided by how many possessions there are. And that's, you know, so you don't get tricked into thinking, well, this team only turned it over, you know, 15 times, but if it's a, you know, 60 possession game, you're turning it over on a fourth of your possessions. And if you turn it over, 15 times in, uh, you know, 80 possessions, you're turning over, you know, 18% or whatever it is of your possessions. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to do the math.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> uh, the next one, is, <laughs> the,
1: uh,
0: the next one is, is offensive rebound percentage, and this one is, is kind of tough for people, I think, to, to get right away. Um, basically, it's just the number of available offensive rebounds that you get. Um, a lot of broadcasts still will quote rebounding margin. And uh, that's not really the, the best way to go about it um, simply because, you know, a defensive rebound is a lot easier to get than an offensive rebound. So if you have a good defense that's forcing a lot of missed shots um, or you're just playing against a crappy team that's not shooting the ball well, uh, you're probably going to get a lot more rebounds uh, than the other team just by by virtue of, you know, forcing more misses. Um, you know, the, the better way to do it is to look at, you know, how many – um, offensive rebounds are actually available and then how many you get uh, so the the kind of the best mark uh, teams get is kind of in the the low 40 percentile um, or low 40 percent mark I think Kansas you know traditionally hovers around like the mid-30s um, fun fun little and and we can get into this a little bit um, you know the last one's free throw rate which is basically just free throws taken divided by uh, number of field goals you take and that's not very important but uh, to get into the offensive rebound thing a little bit and, and to get back to to the game last night here um, one reason I'm a little bit more optimistic about KU's lack of size than a lot of other people seem to be is that uh, teams aren't really crashing the glass uh, in terms of getting offensive rebounds as much these days so you know yeah KU doesn't have a lot of size but you know if teams aren't going to go to the glass um basically they're they're going to be kind of abandoning those offensive rebounds um and and trying to get you know guys back in transition to stop KU from from getting a run out and a dunk and you saw that a lot last year when when teams didn't really want to attack the glass cuz they didn't want you know Kansas to get the rebound and then get it to Frank Mason who would you know scoot up the court and make it um and so you see a lot of it as you know Mason's guy will go back and that's a free rebound for Mason because there's no one there, you know, for him to even worry about. So I think we're gonna see a lot of that this year. I mean, we saw Graham get a lot of uncontested rebounds uh in that game last night. And so I, I don't think that's gonna be an issue other than, you know, I think, you know, Baylor attacks the glass quite a bit. Obviously West Virginia does Texas probably will a little bit this year with the size that they have. So those are kind of the three opponents to watch for. Um as far as that goes. But um, I really think that offensive rebounding isn't going to be – or defensive rebounding, I guess, from KU's perspective, isn't going to be as big of a deal just because no one really attacks the glass like that.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely see, obviously, you know, it being against Pitt State, it's going to be kind of hard to extrapolate a lot of that out. But, um, you know, just how well Kansas did perform, you can kind of see – Um, what they will be doing a lot, and and it definitely projects well. Um, Obviously, what we don't have is, you know, what what the defense is going to be trying to do against them, or on on the flip side, what the offense is going to try to be doing against our defense. Um, There's, you know, obviously a lot still to fill in there, but it was definitely encouraging to see that they had such a a good start in those four factors um, against a team like Pitt State. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely excited to kind of see what's what's going to end up happening there, and I, I do agree we're going to have a lot of guys um, that are going to get better on their defensive stats, especially like the rebounding. Um, yeah, just because our offense again is looks like it's going to be phenomenal this year. Um, I, I'm trying to think we had we had a lot of time, and 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 for those of you guys that aren't familiar with all the advanced stats on the per possession basis and things like that. Um, that's kind of another big thing, you know, is, is talking about offense and defense in terms of points per possession. Um, for correct me if I'm wrong, but basically anything above about 1.2 points per possession offensively is considered phenomenal, and anything below one or, or maybe it's like 0.9 points per possession on defense is also um,
0: really really good. I'm
1: expecting Kansas to do like they did last year and kind of push that 1.2 mark on a lot of occasions. Um, even against teams that are supposed to be pretty good defensively, just because of how many weapons they have and how quickly they can turn a good stop on defense into, into good offense.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously it, it depends on on your opponent, um, obviously. But yeah, I I mean, I, I think uh, you know, once you get above like the the one point one mark, um you're you're probably about, you know, ninety something percent to win the game. Uh, and same thing around the the 0.9 mark. Um, you know, obviously there there are some games where, you know, one team will get like 0.95 and, and 0.94 if it's just like a, you know, brutal rock fight. But right. uh, for the most part, if you can get them down towards that mark, um, yeah, you're going to win the game. Um, a lot of them, you know, I think I would have to, to go look it up, obviously. But, yeah, a lot of, a lot of times you're going to be kind of between the 0.9 and the 1.1 mark somewhere in there.
1: Yeah. I, I believe it was a uh, John Gassaway that, uh, you know, was talking about efficiency margin where, you know, you, the really good teams typically have like a point, a point two to a point three margin where, you know, you, you take the offensive point for possession and subtract out the defensive point for possession um, to kind of see, you know, how big that is. And as spe- he, he would do it all the time in, in conference, especially to kind of rank the different conferences. Um, but the teams that, you know, typically a like a 02 if you're you're probably gonna be up in the top two or three of your conference. Um you know, obviously .3 is just absolutely phenomenal. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kansas kind of pushing that margin up into like the .2 or more you know, point two five range. Um, even though the Big Twelve is gonna be loaded this year. I mean I I I wouldn't be surprised to see it be a lot closer just because of how good a lot of these teams are. Um, But this Kansas team is just so loaded with talent that it's hard to see them, um, you know, get routinely shut down either on offense or it just exploited all the time on defense. So I'm expecting those factors to remain really good for us all year long. Um, You know, there will be games, obviously, that will drop where just stuff doesn't happen the way we want it to in that particular game. But if if we're looking at, like, trends over the entire year, it's hard to see them not be able to keep that up at the levels that they typically have
0: right, yeah, um you know the, kind of the the point too is kind of getting into the like the the really insane mark, I mean that's like we're talking you know kind of Gonzaga over the w c c thing really, um yeah, oh yeah, so well you know i i it kind of depends too on you know some of these some of these leagues have unbalanced schedules to you know which, which kind of <laughs> sways things um just taking a look at the last couple of years here, uh Kansas was plus uh about 0.08 last year okay. um One more right around uh 0.12 the year before uh 2015 they were around 0.11 so yeah i mean you know right right around the 0.1 points per possession was 0.15 in in 2014 um so you know kind of once you hit the the 0.1 to 0.15 is kind of where I kind of expect them to be, um, although obviously, you know, I think their offense is going to be quite a bit better than, than every other offense this year. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of messed with their numbers the last couple of years too, is their depth. And you could really see it last year where there would be, you know, long stretches of of game where they would just, you know, basically take possessions off defensively and just kind of rely on, you know, hoping teams would miss shots basically. um, So they could, you know, save it up for the stretch run and stuff. And, you're probably gonna see a little bit of that this year too, um, even though they're gonna they're gonna have a few more bodies in the backcourt um this year with with the addition of Newman and, and Sam Cumlith. And, you know, Vic's gonna be a little bit more consistent of a performer, but um I, I think you're gonna gonna you know, see where they're gonna have um, you know, kind of multiple minute stretches where not that they're going to give up defensively, but, you know, if if there's going to be an end of the floor where you maybe don't put in a full amount of effort, it's obviously going to be that end of the floor. And uh, I think that's probably going to mess with their, their uh, points for possession allowed uh, in league play a little bit this year. Yeah. Yeah. Should be. um... So, yeah. So, so, you know, if, if you get to, you know, mid February or whatever, and they're like fourth in the big 12 in defense, um, You know, don't freak out and don't say, well, this team sucks defensively. Um, You know, just realize that that's that's probably, you know, about what it should be. Um, And then they're probably going to turn it on a little bit in March like they did the last couple of years. I mean, they, you know, I think they only allowed Oregon, obviously, to get over a point per possession uh, in the NCAA tournament last year. And that was, I mean, you know, some free throws and, and, you know, they had a couple banked in threes and stuff like that. Uh, last year, uh, or in 2016, sorry, in the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, there was a lot of consternation about them not being very good defensively and stuff. And then, you know, the only team that scored over a point per possession, um, even in the, in the big 12 tournament, uh, through their NCAA tournament run, uh, the only team to score over a point per possession. Actually, do you, do you know the only team to score over a point per possession? No, I honestly don't. Uh, it was Austin P, the 16th seed in the uh, first game of the tournament. And, you know, and obviously the walk-ons were in for, you know, five minutes or whatever it was then. So basically they didn't allow anyone under a point per possession after, you know, I think they, they finished, uh, you know, uh, I guess they, fin- they ended up finishing second in the big 12 in defense, but they allowed over a point per possession uh, in league play, which is pretty unheard of for a bill self team, but. Uh, so they, they, you know, they really put the clamps on uh, at the end of the year, and I kind of think that's going to happen again this year.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and and to be honest, I think that's kind of par for the course for a Bill Self team. Um, while defense is always important, you know, it, um, getting that that defensive pressure in his system takes a little bit of time for the guys to get used to each other and get all that work together. And 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 honestly, offense I think is what gets you know emphasized first, mainly because it's easier at the beginning of the year um, when guys are so new to let them, you know, focus a lot on the offense. Um, As we, as we get later in the year, um, you know, we get, we see more emphasis on the good defenders getting more playing time um, as opposed, you know, if there's, if there's two guys that are pretty comparable, but one of them's a stronger defender, uh, you're probably going to see the stronger defender on the court a lot more often. Um, So, you know, I I definitely expect that that's kind of the way that we're going to trend again because, You know, Bill Self is really big on his defense, especially as we get close to tournament time. And so he just naturally emphasizes those players a little bit more. And so we'll see those better defenders um, making a bigger impact. And so ultimately, the the defense ends up coming up towards the end of the season. Um, So yeah, I'm expecting that, you know, that same sort of trend. I mean, it's the same story we see every single year. Bill Self has very clear trends of how he likes to run his team and, you know, the kind of guys that he likes to to focus on. So you know, I think I think what I find a lot more interesting is the way that he's been changing offensively. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit in the past, but um, I I saw you talking on Twitter with some guys um, earlier today talking about the three-point shooting. Um, And, you know, someone made a comment about how well we should just have them shoot the three pointer every single time, um, which obviously is huge hyperbole. But, um, you know, you made the comment, I believe, talking about how you'd like to, almost would like to see them shoot it half the time from three. Um, I'm not sure how much of that was hyperbole um, or how much that was actually, you know, wishing that they would push that sort of range. Um, Ideally, what do you think would kind of be the right mix for three pointers
0: for this team? Uh, Yeah. You know, I think it, it, um, one thing that Bill Self's teams always do uh, pretty well is get shot attempts at the rim um and that's still i mean that's still the best shot in basketball i mean i i love three pointers obviously but if you can get an open layup or an open dunk um right of course you know that's you know that's that's the best shot you can get and uh bill self's teams always do a good job of doing that so as long as you know as long as they're getting no shots i mean i'm i'm you know not really too worried about the threes to be honest with you um you know, even the like worst shooting team at the rim that they've had in a while was, I think, the 2015. I just looked this up, and I, I could be, could have missed a team or whatever, but um, they were like 55% at the rim, which is is pretty bad comparatively speaking. But you know, you're making 55% of your shots, like you're gonna win a lot of games if you're if you're shooting 55%. You know, so. Um, but, you know, I, with without Azubuki in the game, I don't know that they're really equipped to get those shots at the rim. I mean, they don't really have a guy like Mason who can drive the lane and get to the rim kind of at will. Um, they don't have another true post option. So in those, you know, minutes when Azebuki's not in, um, I, I really honestly would like to see them go towards 50%. Um, you know, the NCAA leader every year is right around like, you know, 42 43 percent I think uh of their shots from three and those are usually you know mid-major teams um there's actually kind of you know Villanova starts off every year shooting like 45 percent of their shots from three and then it kind of tails down as the year progresses and I I guess I don't really know why but it's been a trend for the last couple of years but I mean I I really think it should be 50 percent just just for a couple of reasons I mean one you know that that three-point line is is pretty darn short compared to either the FIBA line or the NBA line. Um obviously they moved it out uh like ten years ago now I think but uh it's still it's still pretty short comparatively speaking. And you know you what I mean what are you gonna do take an elbow jumper that's you know five feet shorter for one point less. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, and the other thing is you know the other thing is with kind of and just kind of the way that basketball's evolved, like all of these kids can shoot now, you know Legerald Vick, you know back in the day would have been Kenny Gregory, who was trying to dunk all the time, but can't really shoot it, but now he's like a forty percent shooter, you know Stevee's six eight, and he's shooting you know forty percent from three. I mean all all these kids can shoot, so it's not like a thing where you just have to key on one or two guys, um and you know you can get open threes kind of whenever you want. And I I guess I just think that that would be kind of the move would be to, to shoot them pretty often. And yeah, there's going to be games, I guess, where you shoot like 20% from three, but you know, if that's happening, you can, you know, you can get away from that and you can dump it inside and and stuff like that. But you know, in those games when you're shooting, you know, 40% from three, you know, if you're taking that many attempts, I mean, you're just going to blow everyone out and you know, it, it almost turns into, if you're not shooting it well, you can adjust and still have a chance to win. Um, But if you are shooting it well, no one's going to beat you. So um, I I would just kind of like to, you know, put it into their hands a little bit more rather than, you know, kind of relying on, you know, it it seems like one of of Bill Self's kind of only defensive things that I disagree with is when drivers are, are getting into the lane, it seems like people help off shooters quite a bit and, you know, guys will rotate over to to cover a guy like in the middle of the lane, which I guess you kind of have to do. But you know, they're going to leave a, a shooter open and take their chances. And you know, if the other teams making threes, I mean, South Oregon last year, yeah, they you know had a couple of kind of bounce in that shouldn't have or whatever. But you know, fact of the matter is they made them. And you know, maybe if Kansas prevents a couple of those attempts, they go to the Final Four last year. So right, um, I just think that you know, the more threes you can shoot, as long as they're as long as they're open. Um, you know, the more threes you can shoot, the better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in terms of ranking shots, it would I probably would have to say, you know, best shot to take on a possession is a wide open three. Um, immediately after that would probably be, you know, a, 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 an easy layup. Um, and then after that, you know, we're going probably a contested three, um, and then a mid range, like a well, you know, a, a, a short shot like a, a short two-point shot and then obviously the long twos that are just outside the three are like the absolute worst shot you can take no matter how open it is um, you know if if you're wide open take a step back and take a three um, or you know if you're not then drive to the basket or do something else with it but uh, yeah I, I definitely agree right. as many wide open threes you can possibly get you know always be taking those and and the more of those you look for um, you're going to give yourself a good shot. But, yeah, even even a contested three, I think, is a much better shot in a lot of cases than what most uh, offenses get. But, it's you know, it's, it's kind of the same idea along with, um, you know, punting on fourth down for football team. Um, they should be doing that a whole lot more often than they do. Uh, but conventional wisdom and, you know, just coaching habits make it really hard for teams to go with what is probably the better play. Um you know, the, the same sort of thing you see in basketball, that there's a lot of teams that want to pound it in because you think the closer you get to the basket, the easier it is to make it. But a lot of times a wide open three um, is just going to be so much better just because these guys, like you said, can all shoot at this point. Um, you know, it's especially like we're, we're in a, an era now in the NBA where, you know, even if you're a big man, if you can't shoot the three, you're going to have problems because everybody needs to be able to shoot a wide open three. So um yeah I, I definitely agree with with your uh take there on, on they should be taking more threes so
0: I think I think you brought up a good point too about the you know getting closer is always an easier thing I always see uh Jesse Newell talking about this on Twitter and it seems like every year when we play Texas for some reason um you know we'll we'll drive the lane and and you know whomever will get their shot blocked and then the next time down they'll do it again and the next time down they'll do it again and you know meanwhile they're you know like 2 of 3 from 3 but they're you know 5 of 15 from 2 or whatever because they can they can get semi close to the rim but then just not score there um and it just doesn't really make any sense to keep trying to jam that square peg into a round hole but um you know i guess just to elaborate a little bit on the, on the 2 point thing um you know, I'm not saying cut out the the mid range jumpers entirely, but I also think that it shouldn't be used as a weapon. I mean, it, it should really only be used as like a you know like a decoy or like to to try and get people uh, away from the basket so you can drive at them and, and get to the rim. I mean, you saw you know with Perry Ellis, um, you know he got pretty good at making that little elbow jumper. Um, but then guys would come out and you would drive by them and either get fouled or, or, you know, make a layup or whatever. And that's that's what I think you need to do because even the best, you know, two-point jumper shooters, uh, however you want to phrase it, are shooting, you know, low 40%. And that's, I mean, you're not going to win a lot of games shooting 40%. Right. So that that needs to be, a, you know, an an accent piece, not the, you know, not the main course of your offense
1: right it's just like the idea of a team even if a team doesn't have a lot of receivers in football uh, that can really stretch the field you know just to keep the defense honest you have to throw one deep every once in a while you know so they have to think about it it's the same kind of idea with a with a mid range two pointer is you want to you know do it occasionally so people have to think about it and have to try to plan for it um, but it shouldn't really be the centerpiece you know you don't you don't always want to be throwing bombs 50 yards down the field that's no way to really run a good solid football offense, you don't always want to be taking, you know, 12 foot jumpers um, because that's not a good way to set up a basketball offense either. So, um,
0: right.
1: All right. Let's let's, let's go ahead and jump into the next thing. Um, Actually. Yeah. We got tons of of basketball stuff to talk about tonight, but I think the last thing we're going to go ahead and jump to is, um, you know, obviously the, the AP poll, uh, the AP preseason poll came out. um, And, you know, you had some uh, very pointed comments about some of what, what, what came through there. Um, you know, I actually just found out recently that Jesse Newell is an AP voter, a friend of the show and and of the site, Jesse Newell is, is an AP voter this year, um, which I had not, you know, I'll have to have him on sometime to kind of talk about that and how he became a voter and all that fun stuff, because I've always been interested to kind of know how that all gets put together. But, um, you actually did put out on Twitter earlier this evening that, uh, you know, you, you weren't going to go through the full top 25, but you did give your top five. And, and to be honest, I was I was kind of surprised, I think, by a couple of those teams. Um, the fact you hit Villanova at one kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, do you want to kind of just talk about what it was that put those two teams up at the top, Villanova and Michigan State, um, especially since, yeah, you know, it seems sure. like Arizona, Duke, and Kansas is one, two, three.
0: Right. So, you know, Villanova to me uh, has kind of the best, um, may, well, maybe not the best trio in the country, but so Jalen Brunson, you know, is coming back, their junior point guard, um, you know, really good both at, at shooting uh, and at, you know, being a, you know, he's a decent passer, really never turns the ball over, which is a little bit more valuable than being a, you know, a really high assist man. Um, but you know, he's, he's 62, he shoots 62% on twos, which is kind of wild to me. Um, and then they have, you know, uh, uh, Michael Bridges, um, who's, uh, going to be a junior. He's kind of their, one of their big men, um, Dante DiVincenzo had a really good year last year as a freshman. I think he's going to take a, a big step forward. Um, and then they get, um, um, Omari Spellman eligible and, and a lot of guys are, uh, you know, a lot of people who know a little bit more about, uh, you know, recruiting and, and stuff like that um, are uh, a little high on him. Um, so that's good. Um, yeah, Michigan State, at uh, two. you know, one of the things that, that I like about them is, you know, they just have a lot of guys who were so young last year, um, but also were pretty good in spurts. So obviously, you know, Miles Bridges gets a lot of the talk. I mean, I think he's probably going to be a, a player of the year candidate. Um, but so Cassius Winston last year as a freshman was second in the country in assist rate. Uh, didn't turn it over a ton, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, as much as freshmen usually turn it over. Um, they have Tom Tom there and back who is not any good uh, offensively, but, but is good uh, defensively and, and, you know, as a senior leader, which is going to help, uh, you know, Josh Langford, the sophomore was really good. Um, Matt McQuaid, uh, is a junior who, um, kind of is more of a, more of a three point specialist, even though he only shot 35% last year, but I uh, shot like 40%, um, as a, as a freshman. Uh, so I really like him, uh, Nick Ward, uh, if you remember him, he had a, a pretty nice game, uh, against Kansas last yeah. year in the NCAA tournament, uh, had some, had some foul issues in that game and, uh, had some foul issues overall. Um, but he's a, a really nice player, um, who I think is gonna kinda uh take a big step forward this year. Um yeah, I, I remember and then they have uh they have one freshman coming in who honestly whose name I can't remember. Uh he's supposed to be really good. Um but again, I mean I don't I don't really follow recruiting. Um except for a couple of people, which is kinda why Arizona is three with uh DeAndre Ayton. I think he's gonna have uh, a hell of a season. And obviously, you know, Arizona is one of those teams that's uh, wrapped up in that uh, FBI probe. So, you don't, you don't really know, uh, you don't really know how that's going to affect them. So they could have anywhere from an awesome year to a, you know, kind of crappy disappointing year, but um, I think it's going to be more towards awesome. I I really like Sean Miller too. I think he's a really good. uh, I think
1: a a lot of those season is going to come down to whether he's ultimately declared out with or not. Um I mean, you know, being wrapped up in all of that, the whole scandal thing, there's a potential that he may he may have to sit out for some portion of the year, and that could potentially cause them problems. But, you know, I also would have thought that if they were going to, you know, do something about it that we would have at least heard rumblings that it was likely he'd be suspended or, or lose eligibility or something to that effect. So, um, of course, part of that, too, is that the NCAA probably doesn't have very much more information than guys like you and I do. Um, because the FBI is not going to show their cards on an active investigation, um, no matter how much it's going to, you know, affect the eligibility of guys in college basketball. So um, potentially, you know, depending on how quickly the FBI moves, if if they decide to, to you know, release a lot more information and they have, you know, more indictments coming and things like that, I could potentially see, you know, something happening in the next couple months that could affect his eligibility. But barring something like that, yeah, he he could he could very well. Um, you know, perform just as well as everyone's expecting him to. And Arizona would easily be the, the, the best team in the country come, you know, January. So.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, the only, um, the only uh, question about Arizona is, is their backcourt, I guess, you know, they have Alonzo Trier uh, who was really good last year, especially at the end of last year. I don't, I don't really know um, about their point guard situation. Um, and that's, you know, that's what's going to drive you um, in March. But uh, I, I think Parker Jackson-Carrite is still around, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's not, I mean, he's not great. So that's something that I think that they're going to have to, you know, look at. But, you know, they've got a lot of size. they got some good freshmen coming in. Um, and then, obviously, I mean, Trier and Ayton and are going to be, a pretty good one-two inside-out punch. Yeah.
1: All right, well, just a couple other quick questions related to that. I I noticed, I mean, you only did the top five. Um, Where would you have put a team like Wichita State? I'm just curious.
0: Uh, That's a good question. You know, I think if we're talking, you know, if we're doing a preseason ranking, like based on how good they are right now, they're probably, you know, like outside the top 20 just because they have a couple injuries. Uh, to some pretty key players in in um Shammonton and, and uh, Marcus Mcduffie, but you know if we're talking about like projecting them towards march um I, you know I would say kind of uh like back half of the top ten there um I think ken palm and and kind of some of these more statistical sites are are overrating them a little bit um you know my my issue with them is is kind of the same issue that it's been the last couple of years is that, you know, athletically they're, they're definitely better. I think this year than they have been the last couple of years, but, you know, you've seen it where if they're, if they're not playing a team that they're just overwhelming athletically, you know, in the Valley um, they're going to, you know, struggle a little bit more. I mean, you saw last year when they played Louisville and Michigan state, Uh, again, they had some injuries there too. Um, So those were understandable losses, but, You know, they got beat pretty bad um, at home by Oklahoma State last year, and it was just, you know, Juwan Evans could do whatever he wanted type deal. Um, And so I I think they're going to run into, you know, some of those problems as well. But, you know, their defense is good enough to where I think it's going to win them a lot of games in the AAC and and probably get them to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament. And then, um, you know, I think they could do anything from Sweet 16 to, you know, I, I definitely think they could make, uh, the final four things very great for them.
1: Yeah, and of course, a lot of that comes down to matchups and all sure.
0: that and stuff. But
1: yeah, I was looking at their schedule. You know, the the injuries probably aren't going to be a big deal in November. But uh, once we get to December, if they don't have those guys back, they play Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma all within the span of two weeks. Um, so three of their four games are all against you know pretty good. Uh, Big 12 squads. I mean, even Oklahoma State. We we've, talk, we've talked about this in the past. They're a top 50 Ken Palm team right now, and they're the lowest rated Ken Palm team in the Big 12. So, you know, having, having to face three Big 12 teams back to back, well, almost back to back. They they have a South Dakota State sandwiched in between Baylor and Oklahoma State. But you know, three quick games against three um, solid Big 12 squads will give us a good indication of where those where that team is. Um, Assuming, of course, that they get those guys back in, in, a, in a decent amount of time, I'm not sure how long they're supposed to be um, dealing with those injuries. So, but yeah, so I, I was really interested. Like, I, I know that uh, I know that you know Jesse Newell in, in his article talking about his AP voting uh, was talking about how Wichita State um, was kind of in that no man's land for him too, um, because obviously the, the statistical sites see them as a lot better, but I think there is still kind of in the human polls that. A, a, a sort of a bias against them for their their lower conference that they've typically had. Give them a few years in the uh, American there, and, and I think that there's a good chance that they could potentially start to to get rid of that. I mean, American obviously isn't one of the, the power leagues, but it's definitely a lot better respected than a team or than a than a conference like the Missouri Valley. So, um, you know, you'll you'll give them a. I think you'll you'll start to see the attitude on them turn around after they've been in the American for a few years, especially if they can, you know, finish top two or three consistently.
0: All right. Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess, yeah, just to, you know, just to reiterate, um, they are definitely hard to, to evaluate just because their numbers are so good. Um, I, I don't – so Ken Palm adjusted his formula a little bit to where he, he treats margin of victory differently. I, I don't remember – what he caps it after if he caps it or whatever. But my my whole thing with their statistical profile has been, you know, beating a, a team like, uh, you know, Loyola or, or whatever, you know, crafty Missouri Valley team you want to throw out there by 50 isn't really a lot different than beating them by 20. You know, once you're down by that much, you know, some teams are going to quit or whatever. And you don't really see a lot of like, you know, 20 point comebacks or whatever. So I don't think it really says a lot about them. Uh, from an analysis standpoint, to you know compare those two results, even though you know in a lot of these models they're they're tremendously different. Um, and then again, you know I think part of it is you know they're so used to to overwhelming some of these teams uh, athletically, in addition to just being you know better and more skilled than them. But when they go up against a team that's you know they're equal or, or even a little bit better than them uh, athletically, sometimes they they don't really uh, adjust terribly well until it's kind of until it's too late type deal so I think you saw that last year in the in the Kentucky loss as well even though you know even though it was a close game um, you know I, I actually think Wichita State was probably the better team but they just weren't able to you know get away with some of those things I mean Connor Frank can't really get open against some of those guys the same way he can against you know Missouri Valley competition so uh, I still think that that's that's probably going to ham- hamstring them a little bit until, you know, if and when their recruiting picks up a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair.
1: All right, so last uh, last basketball uh, type thing that we're going to take a look at, we actually put out a call for uh, questions for the podcast tonight, um, and we did we did get one. It was basketball related, so we'll go ahead and uh, jump in there. It's from Nathan Horst at Nathan Horst twenty seven. He says, "Will Mitch Lightfoot be comparable to Whitty or Aldrich in his KU career?" And I think that's a, a wide open question because you could ask about, you know, are we going to see that that sort of improvement from him? Maybe not necessarily getting to the same peak as they did, or you know, think about it, are they going? Is he going to end up being as productive um, as they were? Like, I'll, I'll just have one comment real quick. I don't I don't see Lightfoot ever getting to the point where Aldrich did, where he Ends up being the go-to guy down low and being one of the main leaders of the team. I think he, he could have the opportunity to become a good, you know, a good role player that could potentially, you know, be a, a good, a really good shot blocker or a really good, you know, presence down low in the post, kind of like Wizzy did. Um, but I, I don't know, I don't feel like Wizzy ever became like a, a team leader, uh, like where he was the go-to guy, uh, maybe with one other guy like like Aldridge did with uh, Chiron in, in his last year. So. Yeah, you know, I think he got kind of a little bit of a different. You can kind of take that a, a couple different ways, um, you know. And I, I don't know that Withy and Aldrich were were comparable enough, other than the fact that you saw, you know, huge improvements, and they were kind of like the main option down low. Um, but but what are your thoughts on that question?
0: Uh, well, I mean, he's big and white like they are, so I guess he's got that covered. But uh, you know, in, in terms of on the floor, I guess I don't really have a good. Um, comparison for him I you know maybe like a Hunter Mickelson who you know kind of showed some flashes and and you know had pretty good shot blocking numbers and uh you know could do some things at some point um but didn't really get a lot of playing time and I kind of think the same thing's going to happen to withy or to uh to Lightfoot um you know I if if he doesn't make a big step forward this year I don't really see how he's going to play because next year you got both the Lawson brothers coming in uh, you've got uh, Silvio D'Souza coming in, you've got David McCormick coming in. I mean, that's that's three big men for sure. I mean, uh, K.J. Lawson's probably more of a wing. Um, but so that's, you know, that's three big men for sure. Uh, you never know if, if Preston or Azebuki is going to stay for another year. Um, right now, I think they're kind of planning on both of them leaving. But you, you never know. I mean, both of them yeah. could stay. And then you've got, you know, five big men. So I, I guess I just don't really see how he's ever going to uh, get any playing time at Kansas, which is kind of unfortunate because, you know, he's kind of showed an ability to, you know, be an energy guy that I, I do think that teams need. I mean, um, kind of a, a Kevin Young type where he's going to come in and crash the offensive glass and, you know, be a good health defender and, you know, focus on setting good screens and stuff like that. Um you know, I think that that's kind of you know kind of his ceiling is like some sort of combo of Kevin Young and, and Hunter Mickelson, but with the the guys that Kansas has coming in uh, next year, I don't think that that's good enough to to get him on the court. Unfortunately, which is too bad because I mean, like I said, I, I do like him, and definitely think you know if if he does decide to transfer, you know, I think he he's from Arizona and, and originally was committed to New Mexico. Uh, so if, you know, if he transfers to say a, a New Mexico, I think he could end up being uh, a really good player for for a program like that, um, or even a, a power five program that's you know not a, a Kansas or Duke or Kentucky or one of those. Um, but you know, it, he's got to start start showing it pretty soon. I mean, this is this is kind of his opportunity with the the lack of depth up front. So um, unfortunately, I guess I, I just don't see it happening for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think in order for him to really get a, a good role, he'd have to have a Landon Lucas-type jump sometime this year where, you know, all of a sudden in the middle of the year it just clicked and, you know, he was able to to fill in the big holes in his game and, and be a consistent contributor. Part of the problem, too, with that, though, is that, you know, Landon Lucas almost did that out of necessity. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of other guys down low that were going to take a bunch much playing time from him. I mean, he was getting a lot of opportunities uh, mainly because, you know, they, they had to have somebody to put in there. So you might as well give it to the guy that's been there for, you know, three years now. Um, you know, Light, Lightfoot being a sophomore this year, um, he he is a sophomore this year, right? I do have that right? <laughs> yes, he is. Okay, okay, <laughs> I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. Um, you know, I don't know he's going to get as much of an opportunity um, because Azubuque obviously is going to take up a lot of minutes. Um, and then Preston, you know, from what we've seen so far, like like we were talking about earlier – um, is at least going to be, I think, that, that second option down low. Um, so, yeah, Lightfoot light would have to, to really put in a lot of good flashes and, and, and cement himself as kind of that energy guy, like you were saying, as in that Kevin Young-type role, um, to, to really warrant a, a getting enough playing time to make that lead. Because, I mean, even if he improves his efficiency, you know, a ton or you know, gets really good at one particular aspect and comes on, you know, even in that energy type role, I just I don't see him getting more than probably about you know 10 to 12 minutes a game, just because there's not going to be that available. I mean, we're still playing four guards quite often, and we have so many good guards um, that it's hard to keep all of them off the floor. Um, you know, we've got it's gonna it's just gonna be really hard for him to get enough playing time to make that kind of leap that would really cement his position. Now we could come into next year. You know, and he ends up being the guy that Bill Self talks about in camp because in camp he, you know, shows a huge improvement and he can jump ahead of a bunch of guys. But there's going to be a lot of competition. You know, I I, I do agree. I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up transferring um, just because of all the guys we have coming in and that uncertainty about whether he's going to get a legitimate shot at decent playing time. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I couldn't really blame him for going. I would wish him well, kind of like, um, you know, we, we saw with some of these other guys like Andrew White or Connor Frank Camp. That um, ended up leaving and finding someplace on a mid-major team um, or, you know, an, another team that, uh, you know, obviously Nebraska's not a mid-major team, but, um, you know, a lower level power five school that really could use his, his talent. Um, you know, I could see him making an impact at another program, um, but yeah, it's just going to be too loaded, I think, for him to be able to get the kind of usage that a guy like Withy or Aldrich did. Um, I mean, those, those guys kind of, were in the perfect situation because, you know, they were there, they were able to make solid contributions early in their time at Kansas. Um, and then they essentially became the guy because there was no other established guy and there wasn't a huge group of other guys um, to, to kind of take that playing time away from them. So uh, yeah, he just won't have the opportunity um, to, to really establish himself and get up to that same level. So. Of course, we can you know always hope that somehow he just manages to do that, and then we really have problems um depth problems, but the other way, where we just have so much depth that we, how, how do we get these guys on the floor? so you know I would right. to love to see that, but you know it's it's not as likely I think for that to happen with Lightfoot being part of that rotation i, I could definitely see us having that problem though, like like you were saying if uh if Preston or Ozabuke decide to come back next year. Um, we could have the same sort of problem we have this year with guards. How are we going to get them all on the floor? But have that with the big men next year, um, you know, cause yeah, you know,
0: I, th- I think they're going to have a real problem almost regardless of what happens next year with, you know, those four guys, I mentioned the Lawsons, uh, D'Souza and McCormick. And then, yeah, again, if, if, you know, obviously if one of those two guys come back, but even if they don't, I mean, you look at the other guys in the rotation, I mean, Charlie Moore is going to be here and, and I think he's going to play a lot. Um, I think Malik Newman is gonna be back for another year, and you know he's obviously gonna play a lot uh if, you know Vic might come back and he would obviously play a lot uh Marcus Garrett's obviously gonna play a lot i mean that's that's eight nine guys right there um who are all you know really good players and then you know the um what's his face who just committed devin Dodson, who is a uh, you know mcdonald's all american so I mean there' you know there's gonna be a roster crunch next year um for sure. Um, and I'm sure there's someone I'm missing too. Um, Oh, Sam Cunliff.
1: Right, I was going to say, so there's there's probably going to
0: be, you know, someone getting shoved out the door, whether it be to to go pro or or to transfer or whatever. Um, Otherwise, it's just, you know, they're going to be able to run hockey substitutions out there next year.
1: Yeah, it's going to be ridiculous. I mean, if there's ever a year to have a rotation of like 12 guys, I think next year would be the year to have it, and that's only because, I mean, uh, we're going to have exactly the opposite problem. I, I don't think we have to worry about depth at all next year because we're going to be so stacked. Um, and, you know, I think down low, especially, I mean, you know, typically big guys only have two spots that they can fill. Um, whereas, you know, guards, it's a lot easier if you've got like five guards because you got to fill in three rotations or three, you know, rotate them through three spots. It's a lot easier to put a guard in kind of a wing or, or small forward than, than it is to put like a center or a power forward into that wing position usually. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot easier um, for the guards to kind of get rotated through, even if we have, you know, five or six legitimate ones um, that that are warranting a bunch of playing time. Um, You know, you you get any more than four big guys and you have problems getting all of them in the game for any kind of consistent minutes. So, um, yeah, we're going to have tons of guys next year. And I think next year, uh, especially over the summer, there will be lots of, you know, discussions about, well, who are we actually expecting to see, um, you know, and and how are we going to get all that playing time to do that? So it should, should be an, an interesting conversation to have next year. This year, you know, we only got, what, nine available players. And, and so it's going to be, you know, who, who gets to be that one guy that doesn't get very much playing time because we're going to need pretty much everyone else. So, all right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for basketball. Um, let's go ahead and pivot over real quick to the, the college football game coming up, um, you know, this is this is this year's version, I think, of the Big 12 Toilet Bowl. Uh, we've got the undefeated, or I'm sorry, <laughs> um, unwinning Baylor coming into town to play, uh, obviously, our 1-7 and seven Kansas Jayhawks. Um, neither team has really been very good at all this year. Um, you know, KU has kind of, uh, obviously, we know how bad a lot of their performances have been, and even that, that uh, game against K-State. We talked about all the problems uh, for those of you that listened to to uh, David and I talking about that. Um, you know, it doesn't really wasn't really a lot of good progress I think that we can build on unless they can, you know, repeat that and then improve upon it this week against Baylor. But, um, you know, what what are your thoughts about that game? Obviously, Baylor is you know doesn't have a single victory this year, but it, I mean, I would almost say in the last few weeks they've at least shown that they're improving. Um, You know, they lost against an FCS school. They lost against – in the non-conference, they had some really embarrassing losses. Uh, But they hung tough with Oklahoma. Um, You know, they hung tough for a while with some of these other Big 12 schools. Um, I mean, are you expecting
0: much from Kansas against Baylor? No, we're going to lose. I mean, there's there's not a a doubt in my mind. You know, you see this every year where they play, you know, one or two teams – tough per conference season and everyone says oh they're starting to get it no they're you know turning it around and then the next week they go out and lose by 30 plus and you know they might not lose by 30 plus because Baylor sucks so bad but um they're definitely gonna lose I mean there's there's not a, a doubt in my mind um they're just you know they're they just don't show any improvement from week to week or season to season and uh you know guys who should be really good, um, are not. And, you know, they, they get to campus and, and don't get any better over the course of their careers. And, uh, they're, you know, the other thing too is, you know, I think this has been maybe a little bit less under, under Beatty, although it still, you know, creeps up a little bit, but, you know, they get down by a touchdown or, or they have kind of a weird play happen to them or something. And then they just kind of everything snowballs and, and then it's over. And, that didn't really happen against K State. Um, you know, even after the the kick return for the touchdown or, or the terrible penalty on the on the punt return, they still kind of fought through it a little bit, which was nice. Um, but that's, I mean, that should be like the bare minimum of expectation, and not something that we single out on a podcast as a positive. So, right? right uh, you know, if if Baylor w- wins by less than ten, I'll be I'll be pretty surprised. I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, the line, the last
0: I looked, I believe it was at 7.5
1: in favor of Baylor. It's been slowly dropping throughout the week, but I think a lot of that just kind of has to do with the fact that, um, you know, people are thinking that, well, to be honest, I can't explain why the line's dropping. It opened up at 10 for Baylor. Um, You know, it's been slowly, slowly coming down. Um, But, you know, I'm not seeing anything that is coming out, any news or anything that would That would make me think that that Kansas has a better chance in this game um, than they had, you know, coming directly off of that win or that loss to to K-State, that close loss to K-State. But, you know, I mean, Baylor Baylor in and of itself has all kinds of problems themselves, but they've at least shown, you know, I saw the game that they had, uh, I believe it was against Texas Tech. I may be wrong on that, but you know they've had games where they've been able to get their offense to work well. The, the defense has been able to hold some teams um, to fewer points than I think we really expected. Um, but you know when it gets in, 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 into a shootout, they've been able to, to kind of hang hang tough with a lot of teams. Um, so obviously Baylor's a bad school, or uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Baylor's a bad team this year. Um, well, you you were right the first time. Well, yeah, no, I I know, but I I didn't want to I didn't want to get too much into that. Um, you know, obviously I I can't say that I'm I'm surprised at what's happened to the the football team given all the issues they've had scandalized. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, it's it's much deserved to see them have immediate consequences to this. Um, but this is kind of the ultimate low that we're going to hit is if, if Kansas cannot keep this game competitive. Um, you know, you have a team that was absolutely decimated by transfer out, um, you know, an entire recruiting class. I believe they had an, you know, they had a recruiting class and all but one of those players, if I remember correctly, decommitted after the scandal happened. So their recruiting class is like absolutely ridiculously bad, um, you know, and they, they lost a lot of good, talented seniors from last year's team. So that team got completely decimated. They still have been able to hang tough. And, and, you know, stay in a lot of games. Um, yeah, I'm not expecting Kansas really to keep this one close. I mean, I could see Kansas scoring quite a bit um, just because Baylor's defense has not been that great, and we finally seem to have a quarterback in there that is able to to make quick decisions and not, you know, have absolutely horrible uh, results all the time. But I'm not sure that the defense is going to be able to stop Baylor's offense, which is kind of a sad thing to say. Um, just because, you know, we've talked about this multiple times. Our defense really should be a lot better than it is um, just based on, on a lot of the talent that we have there. Um, but really, I'm also expecting, you know, our special teams have gaffed like crazy. Um, Baylor special teams is decent, um, you know, but that 99 yard t- touchdown return that that case they had wasn't even really like a, you know a, a you know a block in the back or something that wasn't called or you know a guy just completely slipped it was literally the k state guys pushed our our uh, cover team wherever they wanted to go and you know Pringle didn't even get touched i think no i'm sorry it wasn't Pringle i'm thinking of Pringle on that on that big long pass where he fumbled it um you know but the returner for k state wasn't even I mean, there wasn't even anyone close at that point. And that tells me that there's a huge breakdown on special teams. I'm not expecting that really to be fixed. We haven't seen any any real improvement from special teams the entire year. Um, I think, again, we get a special teams touchdown against us um, coming up in this week, and our special teams are not going to be able to really do anything. I wouldn't be surprised to see more 15- or 20-yard punts um, and just horrible play overall from that unit. Um, ultimately, I think that what that's what leads to us losing. All right, now now that we've you know depressed our entire listening audience, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up before we uh, before we get into the final wrap up for the weekend. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's become tradition here that when you're on, you kind of give us a, uh, a a minute on whatever random sport you happen to be thinking about tonight. I think I have an idea what you want to talk about tonight, given what's going on. While we're recording this on Wednesday night, but but I'll I'll let you go ahead and jump in.
0: Well, you'd you'd think so, uh, given that tonight is Game Seven of the World Series and it looks like the Astros are going to win. But no. Also, tonight is the first day of the Big Twelve Women's Soccer Tournament. Uh, Kansas uh, is the uh, six seed in the Big Twelve, uh, currently playing the three seed TCU, and it's tied. Zero to zero at halftime. Uh, Just by following it on Twitter, it looks like they're playing TCU pretty evenly. Um, So uh, they think they probably need to win. Uh, I've seen and most people think they need to at least make the championship game to make the NCAA tournament. Um, So it obviously starts, you know, tonight with a win over TCU. Uh, Again, that's at halftime. Uh, Breaking news here on this podcast that you'll listen to tomorrow, but um, I I finally got one of these uh, minutes in, in under a minute. So I'm going to stop here while I'm ahead. That
1: sounds good. So, yeah, that was actually one of the things I was going to talk about in our, in our wrap up was, you know, obviously with, with them playing tonight, you know, the, the, the women's soccer team has had some really big wins um, this year. They've also had some really, you know, head scratching losses. Um, So I'm not really sure what to expect out of them. Uh, Like you said, I believe they are the sixth seed in the tournament. Um, so obviously that, you know, that means that they've had some, some losses that probably weren't, you know, what you would expect out of a good team. They were ranked at one point this year. Um, I believe it was right after they upset defending champion, uh, USC. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, they've had some good wins. I believe they upset, uh, Texas when they were ranked number nine. So, um, you know, I, I, I could see them making that run and obviously, you know, we'll know pretty quickly after we're done recording. Uh, if they're if they're able to move on, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they made that and were able to make the the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm hoping that happens. You know, it's always fun to cover a tournament team. Uh, we did that a little bit last year, uh, trying to you know c- cover the soccer matches as they happen, and then also covering uh, yeah and the the volleyball team obviously you know when they went in. So um, that's actually the perfect pivot to, to kind of the rest of what's going on this weekend. Um, you know, we do have. Obviously, the, the the football game. Uh, we have the soccer game going on right now, and anything else that we have in soccer will, uh, you know, they'll have whatever matches they actually get into in that in that bracket. There, hopefully, there's a few more that we can talk about next week. Um, but yeah, so Baylor in football on Saturday. We have uh, volleyball, TCU. Uh, the, the Jayhawks are actually traveling down to TCU at two o'clock on Saturday. Uh, to, to play in that match there. Um, and then I believe the only other thing that's coming up before our next podcast would be women's basketball has an exhibition uh, on Sunday. It looks like uh, also, uh, also against Pitt state, uh, that will be at Allen field house uh, on Sunday. So if you get the opportunity to go out there, go, go ahead and go, go support the women. Um, you know, despite the, uh, an unfortunate results we've had recently, it's still a good program to go follow. So I would definitely recommend going ahead and, and jumping in there whenever you get the chance. Um, also next week, actually before we get a chance to record, uh, well, actually uh, we're going to have to figure out exactly how is going to work. I, I know that we'll record before it. It's probably going to be another similar thing where the, the, uh, the first episode of next week's podcast episodes will be released during the game again. Uh, because we, we do have the, the next exhibition against Fort Hayes State coming up on, on Tuesday. So um, any, any, any thoughts about that real quick, Fetch? You looking forward to that, that exhibition as well, or is it going to be more of the same?
0: Well, yeah, I think it's, you know, obviously I, I have no idea who Fort Hayes State has on our team, but uh, probably going to be, you know, more of the same. I mean, they will probably put up close to a hundred and, and allow close to 50 and, uh, probably won't learn anything too much, but I'm sure we'll we'll have another recap uh, episode next week,
1: yeah, and of course, we'll also be looking forward next week um, on that on that Tuesday episode. Uh, we'll probably be doing a little bit of preview of the actual season opener, um, although we will have a Friday episode coming out the same day as that. so uh, a lot of action coming next week, you know we'll have we'll a lot more women's volleyball the the return game of the sunflower showdown. Uh, we'll have that next Wednesday. We'll actually talk about that, I think, a little bit on the next podcast. So there's plenty of stuff coming up. Um, make sure you guys go ahead and join us next time. Uh, we will be kind of recapping all the action we have this weekend. Um, again, hopefully we'll have some positive stuff to talk about related to football, although I'm not, not really expecting that to happen. But, you know, we can always dream that that one day is going to happen where we don't have a lot of negative stuff to say. So... I'll, I'll let you guys keep, keep dreaming about that one day that that finally happened. But, Vetch, uh, thank you for joining me tonight. It was, as, as always, it was, it was great to talk to you and uh, great to break down all the basketball stuff that we can. Um, you guys, thank you for listening. And uh, we will go ahead and catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk podcast.